My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There was a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into the I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. Finding how wonderful we are, we form the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. A quick word about editing before we jump into this week's episode. You might notice that uh, Ken Green gets no introduction at the beginning. That's because I recorded these shows directly onto compact discs, and I was worried about running out of space somewhere in the middle of Ken's performance, so I switched out the discs before he got started, and we don't have that introduction recorded. You may also notice while you're listening to some of these podcasts that Sometimes the scores of the slam are recorded, and sometimes they're not. If I was in the booth, sometimes I would pause the recording to save disk space. If I was emceeing the show, a lot of times I would read out the scores from somewhere else in the room, off mic, so we don't have those captured on a recording. A lot of fuck-ups in a live recording is what I'm trying to get at. However, these podcasts are being presented fuck-ups and all. I might make a slight edits for time... If somebody takes too long to adjust their mic stand, or is fumbling around with their notebook because they haven't got their shit together, or if they're performing too close to the mic or not close enough to the mic, I might make a few edits for that. But otherwise, what you're hearing in the podcast is what we got on the night, fuck-ups and all. So without any further rationalizations, let's jump into this week's show and our feature, Chicago poet Ken Green. to thank him for that introduction or kick his ass outside. You know? <laughs> he knows that I like uh, do like I don't you know do this considered like I do poetry stuff. I just do what I do, and uh, and wait, not yet, not yet. I'm not being modest. I'm not being modest, but there are people back home that kind of say, well, that's not real poetry because of three reasons: a, uh, a lot of stuff I, t- I do rhymes a lot; uh, b, I read it off paper; and c, I kind of cuss a lot. Uh, and the first one is just, I just rhyme because that's just what I do. Uh, read off paper because I got a lousy memory and I cuss because I went to Catholic school. So, <laughs> so anyway. And to show I'm not modest, I'll read this first poem to prove I'm not modest no matter what he says. Okay, look, when I am God, I will do things the right way. When I am God, I will correct the errors of my admirable but inexperienced predecessor and make a world that is perfect. When I am God, I will align the stars and planets into a more useful, friendly arrangement that takes into account size and usefulness, making sure pointless planets like Mercury, Venus, and Pluto are tucked out of the way. (laughs) 
and to end a series of bad jokes and puns, I will destroy Uranus. When I am God, I will shift the continents of the earth into a new configuration that finally rewards the long-suffering of the planet, and Somalia will soon hold a live aid benefit for the starving people of Vancouver. <laughs> when I am God, I will not be some hazy presence that demands blind faith, mindless devotion, or fanaticism. I will not be a vague entity that leaves himself open to interpretation by hack artists who insist on blonde hair, blue eyes, and Birkenstocks. No, when I am God, I will be a hands-on, accessible God, taking every opportunity to make myself known. And instead of weeping icons or stigmata, I will walk along the carpeted runway at the Academy Awards. I will throw out the first pitch of the World Series. I'll take my seat along the runways of Paris to see the new fall fashions. I will cut the ribbon at the opening of the latest theme park. I'll ride in a pace car at Indy. I'll make a cameo appearance on a very special episode of NYPD Blue as a new district attorney. I will sit... I will sit down with Oprah to let her know who's really running things. I will run with the pack of the Boston Marathon. I'll sing back up on the next P-Funk album, and I'll fish for, and I'll fish for Steelhead with Babe Winkleman. When I am God, I will not let mankind silently determine its own fate, interpreting my laws as they uh, suit their needs as they see fit. No, when I am God, I will, at regular intervals, flip the switch that brings the entire universe to a halt, pull back that celestial curtain, stick out my almighty hand, shake my all-knowing finger at a world gone mad, and shout out, hey, I'm watching you. You are this far from a fucking apocalypse. Do not piss me off, me, damn it. When I am God, there will be no more rewards in heaven. Instead, I will offer cold, hard cash right here on earth as a center for every good deed and thought. And I will build those who go against my word, and my collection agency will be vengeful and swift. And when I am God, there will only be three commandments that if followed will end global conflicts, world hunger, racial hatred, gang violence, family abuse, and homelessness. Number one, sit the fuck down. Number two, shut the fuck up. Number three, listen. When I am God, I will do things the right way. And somebody got to let me know when the 30-minute thing is up, because I can't count. And that's because I went to Catholic school, too. So, yeah. All right. Uh, the next one, I wrote it last year at about February when, as Philip mentioned earlier, all that Y2K hoopla was going about. And it's about how silly I thought all of that was. So, Okay, uh, look out. Beware, the millennium is coming. That big, fat-ass fucking millennium is coming, crushing everything in its path, rolling through the streets like a 2,000-pound bulldozer. Stretching life as we know it flatter than a silicon chip. Beware the millennium. I have seen the millennium, and it's a fat motherfucker, all full of putrid gas and vile secretions, bearing his razor-sharp teeth that can rip your peaceful existence to pieces like an alligator biting down in the soft flesh of baby chicks. Beware the millennium. In less than one year, the beast known as the millennium will devour all life as we know it, shaking the world in his jaws like Monica Lewinsky. In a few... <laughs> Sorry. That was bad, I know. <laughs> In a few months, the millennium will cause the seas to rise and swallow the land like Roger Ebert at an all-you-can-eat buffet. In a few days, the millennium will pound on this earth with massive clawed hands the size of Texas, and we can only watch as the ground is stripped away faster than Bill Clinton's pants. But where the millennium? 
No one will be safe from the millennium. Not Bill Gates, not Eddie Murphy, not Oprah, not the village people, not Jesse Helms, not that Menards motherfucker, not Michael Jackson, not Bubbles, not Puff Daddy, not any of the Wayans brothers, no one. Beware the millennium. The millennium does not make idle threats. The lakes and rivers will run red with the blood of Jerry Springer. Mountains will crumble like blue cheese. The breasts of supermodel Tyra Banks and most of the cast of Baywatch will explode and shower the world with a hail of deadly silicone. John Wayne Bobbitt's attached penis will run rampant through our city streets. Two plus two will not equal four anymore. Every character on Saturday Night Live will get their own movie. Marshmallows in the... Marshmallows in the shape of handguns will be in every box of Lucky Charms. And the corpse of George Washington will rise from the grave and beat the shit out of every member of Congress. Beware the millennium. But, on the other hand, the rich will still receive better justice than the poor. Babies around the world will still go hungry. People will still die of AIDS. Teens will still murder other teens. Minorities will still be blamed by some for the world's problems. Your parents will still piss you off and you will still piss off your parents. And sometimes assholes will still pick you to sit next to in the bar. Enjoy your millennium. All right. Um, the next one I wrote at the bar, I hang out a lot in Chicago, where I first started doing poetry. And it wasn't a grain mill. It was uh, weed. So if you go to Chicago, it's 1555 North Dayton. Go there first. Uh, and then I went there, and I sat down at uh, the bar, kind of empty. And these two 708ers came in, and 708ers, we call them, and they're from the suburbs. So anybody from there is a 708er, and we're 312ers. So. Uh, but they came in with, you know, small town, big hair kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I was in there sitting by, and they chose a seat. The bar was empty, and they sat right next to me. And they didn't notice me at first. And one of them kind of looked back, saw me, and then grabbed their purse and slid down. So I dedicate this to them, wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> and this one wasn't a rhyming one, so... Okay, now it's important to remember that it was you who sat near me, ignoring other streets to stretch as far as I can see. See, I mind my fucking business as I sit and drink tonight, but I notice what the fuck you think, the way you hold your wallet tight. And I can feel you sighs and stare me up, but I remain undaunted while you compare me with the guy on America's Most Wanted. And so I sigh with disappointment, what the fuck, I'll play this game. I'll be the social boogeyman and you, well, stay the same. See, I'll be the evil black man that preys on folks like you. And you, of course, can be the victim, even though that shit's not true. And I'll forget about my diploma, my education, my degree. And I'll be the lurking demon just like you want me to be. And I'll forget about the place I work, a quiet office job, because I know you only think I'm here to find someone to rob. And I'll forget about the fact that I've probably read more books than you. And I'll be the rapping hip-hop thug, because you figure that it's true. Yeah, I'll be the vice lord, gangster D, gang-banging, drive-by fool, the kind your friends warned you about while going through high school. And I forget that from a normal house with two parents that I come, instead fulfill your expectations of a childhood in the slums, and to help you out because I know that you expect the worst. Occasionally, I'll give hungry looks at your empty fucking purse. And I'll pretend that I'm a soulless thug, not afraid to take a life. And I'll put my hands inside my coat so you can pretend I have a knife. Now, if you wait right here, I'll rush right home and get my baggy gangster pants. And even though, even though I have two left feet, I'll pretend that I can dance. And you don't have to ask a thing of what I do or where I go, because when it comes to judging me, I guess you already know. Thanks. All right, um, the next couple of ones in there are all kind of short. Um, 
the one of the few like relationship type poems I wrote. And it's it's not about me. It's about this friend of mine. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's type. See. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. It has taken more than 30 years to be the man I am today. Sift through a lifetime of experiences that have turned me out this way. All my habits, all my manners, all I praise and all I damn are the traits to shout out to the world I am just what I am. And though you know my eccentricities, some peculiar, others strange, you ignore all that you know of me and you demand that I must change. Now, I am not some rough, unbending tree that resists the blowing wind because given useful information, hell, I'll gladly think again. See, I can accept that disco's coming back, and I'll give Paula Jones her due, and I'll even grant that Oprah is entitled to her view, but there are aspects of my behavior that will last until I die, that will not fucking fade away just because you bat an eye. See, I was drunk when I first met you, but now you act like it's a sin, which only serves to strengthen my resolve to get fucking drunk again. And when we met, you knew it. I'd enjoyed to prowl the dark streets with my friends, but now you tap your feet and pray to God that that phase of my life ends. And yes, I notice when you cross the room and I see you slowly roll your eyes as I sit in BVD delight and scratch the inside of my thighs. And when I seek a weekend of relaxation after my week of work is through, I look up to see you glare at me if there's, if there's something I should do. Of my less than tidy nature, you were well aware before. But now I hear you yell reminders that my closet is not the floor. And you once laughed at my forgetfulness, whoa, called it absent-minded charm. But now my faulty memory makes you want to break my fucking arm. And so you go down point by point of what is wrong with me to you. And by the time you're done, I'm nothing more than shit upon your shoe. And so I listen with some interest as you remake me with precision into the one you think that I should be, but then I reach my own decision. Because while I listen to the litany of the flaws that you find strange, I come to the realization that it's you I have to change. Thanks. Next one was um, as a follow up to that. After that episode, I decided on this, so it's kind of part two. And this one rhymes too, so uh, okay. Now I was told so very long ago that to have a happy life, I would have to find a perfect mate, someone I could call my wife. And I, I was told that we must raise a brood to become a dad and mother, and live happily ever after until we fucking kill each other. And though I was thinking differently, I kind of searched around a bit. But while I was trying to pan for gold, I ended up with shit. See, this one thinks I'm too damn loud, and this one thinks I don't talk enough. And this one thinks I'm too laid back, and this one thinks that I'm too rough. And this one asks me why I walk around like I'm so goddamn cool. And this one assumes my casual nature means that I'm a fucking fool. So after exploring all the options and finding not one which I agree, there is only one conclusion, so I'm going out with me. Because I know I'm getting older and I might be left upon that shelf. So while that clock may tick for others, I will start to date myself. See, where I see me sitting in a bar, I know I will not hesitate. I will stroll up to my drunken ass and ask me on a date. And I won't worry if I'm good enough and I will not have to guess. And I won't fret about an answer because I know that I'll say yes. And if a week goes by before I call, I will not issue a demand to be more considerate next time because I know I'll understand. And when I saunter in to pick me up for that first important date, 
I won't criticize or turn me down even though I'm fucking late. And I won't worry about making small talk or if I offend me that I smoke. And I will marvel at my wittiness and laugh at all my stupid jokes. And when I pick a place for dinner, I know I will not say a thing. And I will relish every moment when we eat at Burger King. And when I offer me another drink, even though I'm reeling in my head, I won't refuse because I know I'm just trying to get me into bed. And there will be no awkward moments, and I will not have to guess when I invite me back to my place, because I know I will say yes. And I won't pretend that I'm some virgin and that I'm above reproach. And I won't fake like I'm offended when I make that first approach. And though my quest to please myself may last two minutes, maybe three, I won't question my performance because that's good enough for me. <laughs> and I will bask in my own afterglow, roll over sleep without a care. Won't have to get up, dress, and go on home because I'm already fucking there. And I will live my days in comfort with the one that I agree. And I'll live happily ever after, walking arm in arm with me. Thanks. Next one is uh, about after reading newspapers about different conspiracy theories going around about who shot this person and who killed that person and what happened here. And it's my take on uh, conspiracy theories. Okay, I know who killed Elvis. It was the Swedish Mafia. See, they were hell bent on installing ABBA as the new kings and queens of rock and roll. They broke their way into Graceland with that special little army knives one warm southern night and secretly injected a lethal combination of liquid peanut butter and bacon sandwiches into his hillbilly bloodstream, which over the course of several years added 200 pounds to his rhinestone frame and seriously fucked up his fashion sense until one day after taking a dose of his mama's homemade diuretic to try to flush that poison out of his system, he fell pants around his ankles and threw a heap on the bathroom floor. And I know who shot JFK, Canadians. See, they, they were pissed off at Kennedy's blockade of Cuba because it slowed their shipment of maple syrup to that tiny island nation, the sale of which accounted for a major part of Canada's gross national product. So they rounded up their best marksmen and practiced for weeks in the snow-covered Yukon, shooting at elks with cardboard cutouts of Kennedy's face affixed to their sides until that fateful day in Dealey Plaza when a former Mountie named Lee Harvey Oswald took aim not from a warehouse but from the back of an ice cream truck parked on the other side of the grassy knoll. And I know who killed Ryan and Nicole. Hillary Clinton, in an effort to silence the only two people in the world who witnessed her placing her signature on a document sealing the Whitewater deal over dinner with Webb Hubble in an L.A. restaurant and so that she can gain a measure of revenge against one Orenthal James Simpson who a years earlier rejected her sexual advances during a visit to the, by the Jews to the Arkansas State Capitol building. And I know it's in Area 57, Nixon's ass. See... <laughs> See, it was removed shortly after his death by scientists who wanted to use the former president's puffy posterior in hopes of utilizing the precious DNA contained within those fleshy mouths to produce a clone that would run on the Reform Party ticket in time for the next election. But, see, what I can't figure out is what about the people on the street? Surely the answer can't be as simple as opening the doors to the thousands of vacant homes in the city. Surely the answer to ending cries of hunger cannot be as simple as taking the millions of tons of food we destroy every day and actually giving it to the people who need it. Surely the answer to ending millions of senseless deaths cannot be as simple as no more guns. No, it can't be that simple. Where's a good conspiracy when you need one? Thanks.
time-wise thing is, but anyway. Um, well, like I said, another year has passed. I got another birthday coming up, no matter how hard I tried. I tried to stop it, but it didn't work. And um, it's about how I'm getting older. So Now, if I have to, I can ride 22 miles to work on my no-speed bike. And I know that I won't be too out of breath when I finish a 15-mile hike. And if the elevator in my building is broken, hell, I can walk up those six flights of stairs. And I can run up those steps in leaps and bounds, not one at a time, but in pairs. And I keep my ear open and try to keep up with the latest musical sounds. And I buy all the right magazines, CDs, and tapes, and I know all the cool spots in town. But I'm aware that this clock is ticking and that you can't keep this life on hold, which leads to my growing suspicion that, believe it or not, I'm getting old. Now, I don't mean as old as Ron Reagan or even as old as Bob Dole or old enough for me to consider breaking ground for my resting place hole. But I'm old enough to get pissed off when I hit a nightclub or two, when the guy at the door cards everyone else but me, he just fucking waves through. <laughs> or on the street, minding my business, surrounded by brothers and sisters, some punk 20-year-old asks for directions and refers to me as, hey, mister. Oh. <laughs> or the recent Democratic convention as the protesters fought for the mic, evoking the 68 fights in the streets, and kids ask me, say, what was it like? And forget about attending a high school reunion. I stay as far as I can from there. Because the guys from my old class have touches of gray, and even the women have lost most of their hair. <laughs> and I used to make lunch out of Twinkies and Ho-Hos, drink and drive and throw cans out the car. But now I squint to read the list of ingredients on the back of the vitamin jar. And I used to spend weekends with girlfriends that didn't begin to test my endurance. But now my back cracks whenever I rise from a chair, and I'm considering term life insurance. <laughs> and I wince when some teenage seven-foot freak we spent all of his 17 years in the gym, signs an NBA contract for millions of bucks, and I've got underwear older than him. And I used to stay up and watch the late, late, late show, sleep two hours in, head off to school, but now it's Murder, She Wrote, and Golden Girl reruns, and even Matlock is starting to look cool. <laughs> so now I'll search for a nice, warm sweater and a rocking chair, comfortable, not hard, and I'll be known as a grouchy old man down the street telling kids, get the hell out of my yard. Uh, and keeping with the getting old theory, I'm starting to get uh, a little ticked off at certain things I see. And it's not anybody's fault, but that's just me being crotchety, I think. <laughs> so this is, about, and this is about my generation, which is a whole other set of people you'll figure out. Okay, we stand alone, stuck smack dab in the middle of the sonic boomers, re reveling in their days of rage and glory, and the X-Men and women marking their territory with the piss of consumerism technology. We are the generation with no name, those millions born in the 60s who slipped through a whole decade unnoticed. We didn't get the cover of Newsweek or Time. Nobody put our life to music and sang about our hair or how we're going to pay the rent. No, that wasn't our shindig or hullabaloo, and we didn't get our MTV. No, we just sat quietly waiting to see if they would ever say our name on Romper Room, and they never did. Wondering if the captain would ever beat the shit out of that rabbit that kept stealing his carrots. Chasing, uh, watching uh, Hannah, hold on fortifying ourselves with space food sticks and chalk-flavored tang and big heaping bowls of sugar-encoated crisp and quake. But no matter what, it was ours. That sociological flotsam and jetsam that floated together to create our culture, create our landmarks that for better or worse belong to us. But now we find even those insignificant little chicken McNuggets of our lives being stolen by our little brothers and sisters, not content with their own toys in a toy box, instead sneaking into our room and raiding our cultural closet. But no more. Now we rise up. Find a voice and say no more. 
put our foot down, step away, and we want our generation back. See, those are our platform shoes, the ones that lifted us up to new levels of cool, the ones that train a generation of ankles to stand tall, the ones that let us see eye to eye with Bootsy, George Clinton, and yes, even Kiss, orthopedic footwear prescribed not by Dr. Scholes, but by Dr. Funkenstein himself. And those are our bell bottoms, the ones that we ushered into the mainstream and sent forth into the suburbs to prosper and multiply. Those are the ones we made safe for the Sears catalog, the ones that flapped in the breeze like the sails of a great whaling ship and kept us cool. And those are our afros, and we have the embarrassing school photos to prove it. <laughs> the ones that bounced in time to the Soul Train line and the place where we hid the answer to the scramble board. The ones that shielded us from acid rain, the medfly, and the occasional pet rock thrown in anger. The ones that we shaped to Jackson 5 perfection. And those are our disco records, the ones that, we, that told us that we would survive, that we would get down tonight, that we love the nightlife. The ones that we huddled in crowded high school gyms to hear and have swept away the stigma of drugs and sex and made it safe for TV commercials and situation comedies. And by the way, my father called. He wants his swing music martinis and cigars back right now or there'll be hell to pay. Look, those are, those are our Volkswagen Beetles. That was our Scooby-Doo. Those were our pathetic losing Cubs. We owned both of those Darrens. Those were our good times. And we made Albert fat without the PH. We, owned the, we were there the night Chicago died, and we reluctantly lay claim to the Brady Bunch. So go on. Build your own culture out of the mountains of Beanie Babies. Build memories from your own Power Rangers and Mortal Kombat. Tickle your own Elmo. Put on your Nikes and just do it yourself. Find your own Nirvana. Languish in your own Oasis. Log on to eBay and buy your own memories. Do not look back at your history only to see mine. We want our generation back. much better. Um, all right, this was the thing I wrote back in Chicago for uh, the Bar Weeds. I talked about they have their erotic poetry night, and this is my first attempt at writing erotic poetry, so. <laughs> you haven't heard it yet. Don't say that. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> and I was just trying to think of the most basic thing about it, and uh, I think, you know, we were talking with friends drunk one night, and like, what's the most basic human urge? And they were saying defeat itself or defend itself, and I thought it was something else, so. Anyway, see, okay. See, we don't want world peace or respect between races to know the mysteries of life or to explore outer spaces. We don't want a good paying nine to five so we earn at least one honest buck. No, what we all really want is that one perfect fuck. So we want that one perfect fuck that'll last the whole day, the one we'll still talk about when we're all old and gray. Not that polite thing they call love that is gentle and meek, done with utmost civility and a peck on the cheek. No, we want that primordial cave manic through the mire and muck, that regressive animalistic Jurassic Park fuck. We want that one perfect fuck that'll bring us to our knees, that'll knock down the walls and scare the birds from the trees. We want that thrusting, grinding, vision blinding, shaking, baking, earth is quaking, that gritting, spitting, forget about quitting, flesh flopping, thighs slapping, don't bother napping, that spewing, chewing, clothes are ruined, jabbing, poking, genital smoking, lapping, licking, everything sticking, that, sle that sleazy, greasy, Velveeta cheesy, that I'll be George and you be Wheezy, that crude and crass and lacking class. That crude and crass and lacking class and what you ate last week shoots out your ass. That biting, chewing, spilling, spewing. Don't know what the hell you're doing. Mind numbing, spaced out, where am I at? Rock and rolling, squash the cat. That screaming, yelling, block out the sun. The neighbors are calling 911. 
that off the ceiling, on the floor, and the goddamn cops are at the door. That shrieking, scratching, hands like claws, and breaking several downstate laws. That guard is dropping no disguise, you jam their head between your thighs. That bouncing, rocking rhythm swing, don't hear a fucking word you're saying. That lunging, pushing hard as a log, and if he gets too close, you'll fuck the dog. That cramping hips get locked in place, and you're going numb below the waist. That Saturday night till Sunday morning, screaming like the day you're born. That friction building, fire making, headboard banging, box spring breaking. That orgasmic, orgasmic transcendental blast where you can see the future and the past. That collapsing, drained out at the, that collapsing, drained out at the end, and can't wait to do it all again. That's what we all want. about the uh, guy that robbed my apartment a while back. A few years back, somebody robbed my apartment, and of course, uh, I ended up finding it was a guy down the hall whose girlfriend turned him in, and he never found my stuff, but yeah, it's dedicated to him. Now, I'm not a vengeful person as a rule, but there are times when I find that I've turned every cheek and forgiven little crimes. See, people borrow my newspaper, my albums, and my pen, things I'm smart enough now to realize I'll never see again. And loaning friends cash money, earns no dollars, makes no sense. It's just a fruitless act that I chalk down to experience. But one heartless bastard roams this earth for whom revenge is not enough, who broke into my apartment and made off with all my stuff, put his slimy thieving fingers around things that I worked hard for, grabbed what I considered valuable and then snuck back out the door. But there are plans for you, my friend, vengeance straight from God in heaven, that will make you rue the day you found apartment 607. See, one day you'll step out the shower, just a towel and dripping wet, and to watch your favorite program, you'll turn on my TV set. And I pray 2,000 fucking volts of electricity go shooting through your body from the back of my TV. And as sparks fly from your anus and your head smokes like a cigar, you wheel and turn and snag your dick inside my VCR. And I hope the pain reverberates inside your evil mind, and your frenzy to dislodge yourself, you accidentally hit rewind. And I hope the pain is searing, sending you into a rage, and you trip and fall and wedge your head inside my microwave. With justice served, one final blow for my apartment looter, the frantic flailing of your arm tips over my computer, and in those final fatal moments, may you rule your evil past as the falling force of my computer jams its hard drive up your ass. Now, I'm not a vengeful person as a rule, but just this time, I hope some fucker burns in hell for just this one damn crime. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, in response to people who said I rhyme too much, which you probably know by now. Um, and just to get my point across to them. Okay, now, I've been told more than a few times, yeah, I like that little poetry thing you do, but does it always have to rhyme? And yeah, I listen to the words they say, because variety is the spice of life. And that riding that same old treadmill can be as dull as a butter knife. But just, I, just as I start to thinking that maybe they've got a point, I toss that serious shit away and start rhyming up the joint cause like a salmon swimming his way upstream to drop a load or two, I drop my load in couplets cause well, that's just what I do. See, I express myself with words that link, rhyme schemes that stay uncut. Can't caress my words with kindness, can only kick them in the gut. 
See, I rhyme to hold the listener's ear to catch the passers-by attention, to make them hang on every word, keep their interest in suspension. Because <laughs> the rhyme was given to us all, both near and from afar, was not Bukowski in my crib, but Twinkle Little Star. And almost every song I ever heard was a virtual rhyming spree. Hell, if it's good enough for George Clinton, then it's good enough for me. So perhaps one day I'll heed their words and take the other route and deliver prose that tells of fears of darkness and of doubt. But until that day, when I stand here every single time, the words that I will say to you will likely end in... This one was written, uh, actually at the time, they had the um, Gay Pride Parade in Chicago, and it's a big parade, and it's great, but it takes up a lot of streets, and it's like every week in Chicago, there's a parade. There's this person, this person, and it's like driving to Chicago during the summer is the worst thing, because you, know, you end up driving around the city just to get through it, so I decided to give my response to that. Okay, I held my own parade today. I held my own parade today and took my agenda up and down the streets of Chicago. I held my own parade today. You probably saw me marching up and down the streets, past throngs of onlookers cheering and shouting their support for my cause, or maybe you didn't. But no matter, I held my own parade today. I held a parade for African-American men over 30 named Ken Green who work at the Chicago Housing Authority and like ketchup on eggs. It was a small turnout. <laughs> But I more, or less, I more or less carried on, waving my banner high and shouting, I'm here, I drink beer, get used to it. I held my own parade today. Behind a police escort that for some reason stopped for coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, I strolled through the streets and promoted my agenda. I'm here, I drink beer, get used to it. I held my own parade today. And I invited all of my factions to join in, to share in the diversity of my cause. Look. Here come African-American men named Ken Green who are reluctant to admit they own more than four Kiss albums. And look, here come African-American men named Ken Green who are former altar boys and don't know what to think when their mother takes them to a Baptist church. And look, here come African-American men named Ken Green who wanted the Rachel's charging for that orange juice they never received. I held my own parade today. Of course, there were those who opposed my lifestyle, who saw my presence as undermining the moral fabric of society. We don't want Ken Green in our schools teaching our children. Ken Green should not be allowed to adopt under any circumstances. The Bible clearly states that Ken Green is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. But I press on. Undaunted by my detractors, I fly my banner high, a plain black flag, because I couldn't think of anything else to put on it. But I held my own parade today. And like the Italians and the Irish and African Americans and Polish and gays and the disabled, I march to tell the world that I exist, that I am unique, that I demand recognition. I held my own parade today, and next year's will be even bigger. Uh, all right, this is the last one. Um, damn. <laughs> five bucks, I'll read another one. <laughs> Dollar poet right here. You get one line, that's it. <laughs> uh, well, I'll read this one. It's uh, about the way I want to die. Now, when I have to go, and I'm pretty sure that I have to, 
I want to go with as much fire and fury as I can. I want them to strap my frail, nearly lifeless body into the front seat of a powder blue 1975 Pinto with a full rear tank of gas and an engine from the last rocket to make it to the moon strapped to that piece of shit Pinto, tie my foot down on the gas pedal and turn loose on the longest stretch of unbending road in Arizona with a six-pack of warm Miller High Life as my last companion. I'm becoming a powder blue blur as I scream down that strip of asphalt, my eyes glued open by gravity as I begin to lift from the earth in the first Pinto in outer space and the world's getting smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror as I fight gravity for that last bottle of beer and hit the gas one last time before that shit explodes bright enough for everyone in the western hemisphere to see and they stand there pointing to the sky saying, yeah, I see him, there he is, right there. No, no, wait, wait, wait. If I have to go, and I'm pretty sure I do, I want to go while orchestrating the biggest orgy in the world. So big they have to hold that shit in Yankee Stadium in a bed that stretches from foul pole to foul pole with me laying on a single pillow in center field watching a sea of thousands of bodies that have forgotten about taxes and crime and politics and just want to fuck each other's brains out with every Playboy Playmate from 1967 to 1998 and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and the Road Company of Cats, the Daughters of the American Revolution, the National League All-Star Team from 1984, the cosmetic sales from Marshall Fields, the Three Tenors, the Romanian Gymnastics Team, and Dr. Laura is screwing Dr. Kevorkian and Bobby Rush is licking Maggie Daly's ear and F. Lee Bailey is fucking Michael Jackson and a standing room only crowd is loving every minute of it and Marv Al Albert is giving colored commentary and a menace Yankee Stadium shakes in the force of the biggest simultaneous orgasm in the world and that surge sends my dying spirit straight up to heaven where even St. Peter's impressed and he gives me a high five and sends me through the pearly gates. Now wait, well, no, 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 wait, wait. If I have to go and I'm kind of sure I do, I want to go while wiping out as much hate as possible, having gathered every Klansman, neo-Nazi, skinhead, gang-banging, abortion clinic bomber, cross-burner, car bomb-driving, church-torching, genocidal maniac in the world, in the middle of Montana by telling them that George Michael would be there. Because... <laughs> Because everybody knows the only reason they do that shit is because they can't deal with being gay. And as they stand there wondering where the fuck George Michael is, I come sliding out of the belly of a B-1 bomber strapped to the biggest fucking bomb we make, and I go whistling toward the ground, seeing their faces get closer and closer. Some of them are running in terror, and others stand there wondering, is that George Michael? And as I slip... <laughs> And as I slam it, and I slam it in with 50 megatons of justice, sending a cloud of vaporized hate floating over the Canadian border. Now, wait, wait. <laughs> If I have to go, and I'm pretty sure that I do, I just want to go the same way as I live, quietly, without much fear, and just try not to get in anybody's way. Thanks. I'm here. I drink beer. Deal with it. Woo. All right, we're going to take a little 10-minute break, and then we're going to come right back with a slam. All right. First... We've got five judges. First judge is Charlie. Charlie, where are you? Charlie? Make yourself known, Charlie. Charlie is a cosmic space monkey. We've got Jeff. Where's Jeff? Jeff, be good and you will be lonesome. That's what Jeff says. Mark, Mark Twain said that. All right. Sean Shea. Where's Sean Shea? Sean Shea's epitaph will read, never made money, always left good tips. John Uremkin. Where's he at? John's over there. John's having all four wisdom teeth pulled out on February 4th, so... Uh, thank God it's not me. So feel sorry for him and buy him lots of beer. And Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is right there. 
He's a catfish Virgo who plays a mean fucking guitar. That's our judges. All right. Give them a round of applause now because you're going to be booing them in a few minutes. All right. Before I get to that, there's a mailing list. If anybody's not on the mailing list, I'm going to start sending it around. It'll be to every table and put your name on it and address on it. And if we get around to it because we're flakes, we might actually mail you something. And that would be cool. All right. Performers. Your job is to perform a piece of your own making, three minutes or less. No costumes, no props, no animals. That's getting old. No nakedness. Absolutely not. As much as we would like nakedness. All right. Judges, your job is to score the piece from one to ten. One being the worst possible fucking piece of shit you've ever seen in your entire life. And 10 being the most amazing, earth-shattering, cosmically orgasmic piece of poetry you've ever seen in your entire life. Audience, your job is to, your job is to influence those judges as much as possible by cheering, booing, throwing things at them, or bribing them, depending on what you like the most. All right. Before we bring up our regular poets, we have to bring up a sacrificial poet to kind of grease our judges into it, to kind of get them warmed up, to get them calibrated for what they're about to do. And I think somewhere in the house we have a calibration poet. Off paper. Don't start the clock. <laughs> so, that'd be start the clock. So when you're sitting up in bed with something else than too little sleep in your head to drift with the grift of fishing for a cigarette to ventilate the obsession on nothing but addiction, feeling the physical attrition of the spiritual attraction and everything you know says it ain't possible to go this far into the heart on so little time or knowledge, asking you to disbelieve the teeming of emotion that gives meaning to commotion of the ambient world swinging you around wildly at the center of the human universe. And you're thinking that maybe you want to have another child after all the while you swore you would never do retirement age when the kid's still in school. Get real, fool. There ain't no big one, son, this high in your thoughts. I heard Jeep boondock and rooster tails of dust off the mudding tires on the back roads of a, a, an Auntie M can't wake you now, sans Toto, Kansas of your mind back gone off to play games by taking itself along and taking you for a ride into the sunset of home cooking up another mess in a house you'll never know. A redondo beach tidal wave that crashes and washes the corners of your conscious thoughts about the talks about the places that you've walked and the things about your dreams drives driven along a road with no name signs you to a place you know you'll never be a kamikaze eyelash on the keyboards of relationships past the point of no retrieving the time spent bent inside the living room you're leaving memories behind the bar in the mildew of spillage like the silage of the brew taps gone bad rotted rolling out to cattle, grazing, gazing, dotting the landscapes, bulls dozing in the mud, grown over grown men in Tonka trucks, moving dirt under the magic carpet, ride high into perfections, thoughts born for transcendence over the mammalian struggle to survive that drives you to the altar of escape at yet another cigarette. Till you cop an attitude, 
about necritudes and platitudes that cast you adrift in those latitudes where they're only in it for the party. This ain't no place for the hearty looking to lose the laurels of the quarrels that brew in your head left on the edge of this bed of too little sleep and eyes that can't weep, driving your thoughts way too deep, holding the time you can't keep up with the acceleration curve humanity's got to serve themselves a new place to go, but they don't want to know their thoughts will not flow on the stage of this show because it's showtime central. This ain't no dress rehearsal, y'all. When the curtain fall, I'll see you backstage. Thank you very much. You're on your own. Good night. All right, I've done this a couple times up in Grand Rapids. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Felt so scared, but now I'm sound. All around, the change came light. The change came tight. The change came right. Try to put up a fight, but the angel was built. I started to tilt. Those old walls began to wilt. I felt it solid when I began to feel. Then I met a girl, the first that's been real. A girl who could tame me and show me the deal. No need to steal. If you can't work, then suffer. No need to be labeled as a sucker. Now that I've met God, I could never turn back. You'll never see me sweating, addicted to crack. Now that my life's on track, I have poetry to attack. That's the rawness of mind and body. Why is that kid's hero named John Gotti? It's time to awake as I so awoke. It's no longer a joke now that your teen's on coke. You poke and you pry, but you pry to lie. Every day another piece of your heart will die just to get high. Bashful decisions stored in my brain. These storms have cleared, but over there is rain. Feel insane because I feel your pain. I know what I have to do. I'm just a little scared. Remember when I was close enough to see Satan's teeth bared? Back then I never cared. That's why I like it better here. Away from the pain. Away from the fear. Just one prayer and God is near. But the disaster is the master kiss. That's the kiss we miss. Talk about slavery. We're all slaves inside. You'll continue to be a slave, but you don't have to hide. Exposed to a higher power that can turn the tide. Still, you ride with your homies and your boys, never realizing that all of you are toys. Find a new poise. Start to make things right. At least that's my mission now that I've seen the light. But now that I've seen the light, I am the light. That means I have to live right and stand here this night. That means I'm the light in the darkness. It's a mission. Let's embark this. We have to go out there and grab their attention. Mention that there is love in this section. People still care because God cares. I hope I raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I hope you respect that there is more to bet. But you have to be willing. You have to be willing to fight for what you believe in. Remember that that sin means you got to get better to win. You have to get better to live, to truly breathe the air and be aware that this is his greatest care. But I have seen the light. Now I can see all the little things. A two-bit bum sings to you. Years later, his fan base clings. I've seen a crackhead go free because it was that time, you see. I see AIDS and I see ladies. It wasn't God that gave all ladies rabies. It was the devil, and that means they, that demons do exist. And if you embrace their kiss, then it's God you diss. But I have seen the light. It's a new age, y'all. I used to live in that cage, but it was time to dismiss that rage. It's 2000. It's time to rap on stage. I smoked blunts as of yesterday, but now my mind is like, no way, because that was yesterday, and this is today. This is today, but it's also the beginning of all days. I have seen the light at the end of the gun barrel staring me down. My best friend was a clown, but that shit made me frown. No longer drown my sorrow in self-pity. It was written, I've seen the light. At the corner of Halstead and Clark, the sidewalk wails in silent desperation. While a baby cries in annoying instigation, so around myself I surround myself by a fort. At the corner 
of Halstead and Clark. The icy wind cuts into my face, so I keep my eyes down so as to humble myself. No one can feel the city's wealth, but I can. This is something I can taste within the mouth on my face. At first glance, one sees nothing good, just bloodstains on the alleyway floor where some maniac shot himself two nights before. I can't expect that one ever would see anything good or could because the lamplight only shines on those who light it and everyone else is caught up in the hustle and bustle of metro drama and the trash on the ground impedes on everyone's good karma. Karma. And they become indicted because their lamplight is not lighted. But it was then, with my very first glance, even though the street was my bed that night, I felt a perplexing something which whispered what was right. And suddenly I had a lamplight around which I danced at my very first glance. And suddenly I had the audacity to sit down with a bum and talk to him for an hour or so. Man, you should have heard the spiritual motions with which we flowed, even though that icy wind made us so numb. We was getting deep, me and that bum. And he wasn't your average dreg of society with philosophies uncharacteristic of an average 30-something guy. Whatever could it be that made his life go awry, I felt like kneeling down in piety. As he wasn't your average dreg of society. And when our lips um, took a long pause, I felt it was right to say goodbye. I gave him five bucks for some Mickey D's and we shook hands as I dusted off my knees. I said, please, you know where I am. If you're around, then stop by. We said goodbye. For a brief moment in time, I'd stolen the key to the city. I've never since seen that man around, but as I strolled away, my feet wasn't touching the ground. I was high, and I felt my soul's nitty-gritty, because I had the key to the city. And for a brief moment in time, flying high like a kite, the sidewalk stopped wailing, the baby stopped crying, and that dead crazy got off the ground where he was lying. And together we lifted up the city with all our might, and together we danced under the lamplight. Thank you. All right, I, I did this last week, so if anybody was here, I'm sorry. It's recycled, you know. Um. All right, it goes, uh, I'm sick of this drab, monotonous, mundane, strained existence full of schmucks and fucks and people looking to get laid, people talking about being true and following their hearts, people who have no idea what they want or who they really are, hiding behind their friends, people never knowing, never caring if the means justifies the ends, people lost, people mumble grumbling along, kicking the yip yip yipping of want at their heels, bound to be trapped by a thing they hold most dear, bound to forget a freedom found, diving headfirst into a cool, clear lake, splish splashing along, young and free, 
tree, feeling the sand beneath their toes and forgetting what time it is, and I'm scared, scared to end up stuck in a rut, toiling in traces for a bone I gnaw alone in the cold, dark winter that will be many's future, scared to lose my soul, scared to pour it all out only to have it spill onto the concrete street corner with its bells and whistles and tailpipes following people moving along to something more important. Something that will fill them up only to suck and dry. Leave them frail as rice paper once wet and dried. And as bitter as a Mexican farmer who lost his crop because Americans decided the drugs were bad. <laughs> Leave them longing for the next quick fix band-aid. Another random string of self-centered egotistical events with which they fill their sniveling, meaningless lives. And I'm tired. Tired of sitting alone at lunch and spending all my time with blank pieces of paper and coworkers. Tired of bullshit and head games and manipulation. Tired of seeing good people work themselves to death while fat cat assholes whose parents got their shit together ride down easy street carefree. And I want to run to go and see and be a gypsy lady with food in her belly and a song in her heart, a free spirit with a drum between her legs and a velvet tangerine sunset melting slowly behind her waist long locks. And I just might after I graduate. Close your eyes while I conjure you up and remember the butterflies that flutter against my thighs and the sighs that you bring. When you say my name, full name, in circles intimate, my soul falls into the nothing that love brings. You know, the nothing that shapeshifts into, say my name. I want you to say my name again, say it, like it's the first kiss that twists off the tongue, tangling treble into bass, say it. So it trembles into the tingle of Shivas and Billy. Because when Billy sings her blues, she sings my blues, slow and low and rolling off my tongue. You come like forever in a minute. Like a river in a stream, I seem to connect to you, resurrecting you. You, re you redirect your love's flow, leave me feeling as though I can even swim upstream. In this reality, I dream of hair against skin, thick against thin. Find solitude within the variations of dissonance that lovers separated too long make when they melody together again. Say my name. Play my name on the cleft your elbow makes in the place where thumb and wrist bone meet. Taste my name where the rhythmic rules of touch and tongue catch in an instant and fall, bringing distance right here. Say my name, you say my full name, and watch as my soul shapeshifts into blues rhythms that walk me to you. Throwing, okay. I have to do blues notes then, I guess. I don't know. Blues notes lying flat, back above blanket, above ground, and below the belt of the hunter. Before I knew Billy or Dolphy or Davis, I knew blues dusky as a 12 a.m. sky I used to lie under. Knew how to play fast eighth notes in the key of G on a used sax. <laughs> I even tried to improvise. 
change my world from a 16th to a whole rest by hiding under pulsars or quasars or black holes, rest. Before I could sing strange fruit or lover man, I could fall into a whole E and lose myself among the trembling alto or baritone. I could even taste the reed of tenor on my lips long after it was gone. Before I could sing fast eighth notes in the key of G, I could sing trembling altos or baritones. I could taste the reed of tenor on my lips long after it was gone. I think Denise has got this one. But anyway, <clears throat> this one's called White Privilege. I used to be rotten, caught up in punk rock plotting. My mohawk reached as high as the belt of Orion. I had big boots that stomped Nazis to Zion, and I kicked it in dark alleys like the FBI was spying. But I was lying. I was running before I could walk. I thought I knew it all, was conversing before I could talk. Who would have thought I was just another white kid with an ego, ignorant of what goes on in the ghetto. I had a pink pass to shop in all the white stores, nice stores. <clears throat> no one would look at me when I walked through the doors. I didn't realize I was in the winner's pen when even the butlers had peachy skin. White privilege was my means for success, and my rough exterior was just arrogant finesse. When I realized this, my whole life changed, because now even my mind was deranged. So bust it, granted, education's a must. So how can we trust a system that'll bust a black man selling cannabis just so his daughter can eat? Yeah, the smell of justice is sweet. But two wrongs have never made a right. And the most powerful white have never felt the fright of having to fight for their very next bite and to be an accepted citizen of society. Does that sound trite? Well, then enlighten me, because most of you have never felt what they've felt, and they've dealt with it like the strong people they are, through trials and tribulations, denials, eliminations. And sure enough, I have grieved because I believed yeah, I believed I could never be deceived. She is an albatross, Captain. The way I remember it, albatross was a ship's good luck till some idiot killed it. Yes, I've read a poem, try not to faint. <laughs> 